Power. Thank you for the vote of confidence. I really appreciate that. Okay. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you just, you just said there's got to be more? Have you ever been at a point in your life where you just said, I know there's more and I'm, I, I need a breakthrough? You know, every breakthrough, it, they call them breakthroughs because they came at cost. They, they call them breakthroughs because there was a problem and there was a challenge. You know, as I look back in, in history, the, the last hundred years, all the breakthroughs that there have been, and it was America. It was America at the forefront of so many breakthroughs. Like the, the 20th century it has been referred to as the American century, and for very good reason. You know, the world took flight in the 20th century. The century began with a couple of bicycle repairmen who built a flying machine, the Wright brothers. And, and barely 60 years later, Neil Armstrong stepped out onto the moon. It was the century where humanity took flight. And, and there were so many breakthroughs that had to happen. In the 1940s, the great breakthrough was, can we possibly fly faster than the speed of sound? And engineers worked on that one, and it was a terribly hard problem. And by 1947, there were a lot of engineers who were saying, it is not possible to break through Mark I. It is not possible to do it because there is a wall of turbulence that, uh, that an aircraft hits at Mark. But there were engineers that said it can be done. There were engineers that, that, that dreamed of machines. There were engineers that had faith and they designed the jet to do it. But you know, it's not enough. It's not enough to have a great design. You need someone that's willing to get in the cockpit. You need a person of faith in the cockpit. When, when Chuck Yeager got into that jet in 1947, many pilots had died trying to break the sound barrier. And what would happen is that the jets would, would, would hit the turbulence and, and it would feel like the jet was coming apart. And, and whether you pulled back or whatever, the plane would just go, go crazy, the wings would come off, terrible spins. And Jaeger went into that, and as he approached the, the speed of sound, instead of easing off when the turbulence hit, he hit it full throttle. And, and, and he burst through that barrier. It was a breakthrough. And for the first time, humanity heard a sonic boom. And, and, and Jaeger described it. He said it was so 
peaceful once he broke through the barrier. There are people in this room that you think the wings are about to come off. But God is saying, no, this is where you have breakthrough. Saying, trust me, trust the power, trust in the power, and I will, I will take you through to the calm that comes on the other side of the barriers before you. He says, trust me, behind the problem is my promise. Now press in to my promise. Let's pray. God, we want to fly. We don't want to crawl around. We want to, we want to fly. And Lord, there are people in this room on the verge of breakthrough who need to hear what, what you have to tell them. And, and, and God, whether it's my words or whether it's you speaking your spirit to their spirit, I pray that they will, that they will hear it. But when it gets violent, when it feels like, coming, that, like that it's all coming apart, we pray that you would give us the faith to press forward, to press in with your power behind us, to press in trusting in you and, and only you. Oh, God, we know that you are not the God of the same old, same old. We, we know you're not. We know you are the God who, who says there is more. And we want that more. And we pray in your spirit and for your spirit in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I've been talking about discipleship, about the path of discipleship. And the path of discipleship is not about the same old, same old. path of discipleship is an adventure. path of discipleship takes you places that you, you just never imagined. And, and I have, in previous sermons, we, we, we've camped out uh, a couple of weeks in Mark's gospel with the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, a few weeks ago, we, we went to Acts chapter 12, and I camped out there with the story of Peter's imprisonment and, and, and the prayers of the church that just freed Peter and, and just the, the incredible power that we have available to us in Christ. But I'm going to go to the Old Testament this week, and we're not going to camp. We're going to be flying through this stuff. We're going to be moving really fast. I'm going to start in 1 Kings chapter 16, and we're going to, we're going to go through there. And you can, you can follow along with your open Bibles, but, but we're going to land in 1 Kings 19. That's where I'm going to put this down. I'm going to begin with 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 29. We're going to be talking about a guy in the Old Testament who had the right stuff. We're going to be talking about Elijah this morning. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. 
Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than did any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel. Guys, you don't want to marry Jezebel. I'm just saying, of all the things, this was the worst. He married Jezebel, daughter of, of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all of the kings of Israel before him. I read this to you just to set the stage just how bad the situation was. Like this is a chronically bad situation. It started to get bad under Solomon. They were bringing prostitute, temple prostitutes into the temple even back then. Uh, but it is, it, it is just totally bad. And then about 11 years go by between here and chapter 17, and verse 1, a man named Elijah shows up. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. See, Elijah's a man of God, and he declares a drought and, and, and it is a bad drought. Springs that have never run dry, run dry. He, find, he finds a brook that hasn't become dry. And, and he goes there and there's no food, but ravens come to feed him. And he drinks the water until, until that spring dries out. And, and then he makes his way to the house uh, of a, a widow and, and people are dying, all right? That's what happens. People are dying. They're dying for, uh, uh, there's a famine in the land. And he shows up at this house, and he's a prophet of God. They know he's a prophet of God, and he says, I need food. And the widow says to him, we have one meal. One meal left. And my son and I were going to eat it. And then we were just going to die. But we'll give you the meal, man of God. And he says, I'll, I'll take your meal. And he eats. And he looks at, boy, there are heroes of faith in this book. Like the woman who gives her last meal. He says, because of your faith, you'll never run out of flour and you'll never run out of oil as long as this drought holds. And that's what happens. She never runs out. She, she goes and it, it's, it's still nearly empty, but there it is. There's, there's, there's more there. And then her son dies. And Elijah shows up and he lays the son out on the floor and he lies on top of him, chest to chest, 
breath to the boy's mouth, and he prays to God that God will raise this boy from the dead. And he's raised from the dead. And you just see God using Elijah. The gold standard. He's the gold standard of faith. Oh, and like God's stories like this. Like this is where the power is, and, and, and the power is still there. We're not talking about the great I was here. We're talking about the great I am. We're, we're talking about the I am who raised Jesus from the dead. We're to, talking about the, the, the I am that's going to raise you from the dead. We're talking about the I am whose spirit dwells in you right now and brings you spiritual life. Well, in chapter 18, the drought has been going on for a few years. And Ahab is pretty upset at this time. And Elijah shows up to see Ahab. And Ahab looks at him and says, you, you troubler of Israel. And, and, and Elijah just looks at him and says, I ain't the troubler. You're the trouble. You're the trouble. But later, God tells Elijah to go to Ahab and to tell him that he's going to end the drought. But that takes some courage because Jezebel's been killing prophets at a really good clip. I mean, how bad? How bad can it get? This is bad. But, but, you know, you don't see all that's going on. Like right in the middle of this kingdom of hell, in the palace, God has planted a secret agent, and his name is Obadiah. And like Obadiah is working at the king, and at the risk of torture and death, he's hiding prophets in caves. A hundred of them. He's got a hundred of them hid. And Elijah meets him on the road because, I mean, he's, he's running the palace. And uh, he says, I want to parlay with the king. Make it happen. And Obadiah says, well, you know, I hear you, Elijah. But everybody and his brother and his brother's dog has been trying to kill you. And you disappear. You have a habit of disappearing. And if I set up this parlay and you don't show, it's going to be my head. And Elijah says, well, bro, don't worry. I'll show. And he does. And Obadiah tells him, hey, I've been hiding prophets. You know where my, my heart is. And Elijah sets up a contest. You know, it's just a guy thing, isn't it? Contest? Hey, let, 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 let's, let's see who can do this. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, and we'll just see who's got the goods. Well, he, he does that. He challenges all the prophets of Baal. And 450 of them show up. They've come from the far corners of the country. And he says, we're going to have a contest. It's going to be about... Whose God has power? It sure looks like it's Baal that's got the power, doesn't it? Everything would say that Baal has the power. 
And Elijah says, hey, what we're going to do, we're going to have altars. And we're going to put the sacrifice on there. And we just see, see whose God shows on this one. He said, because the deal is, nobody lights the fire. Your God has to light the fire. So they get, they get, uh, they get worked up. They're, they're praying and they're shouting and they're rolling in the ground and they're, they're cutting themselves and they're crying out. And Elijah's just standing there, just, you done yet? Oh, oh take your time, take your time. He might be asleep. Shout louder. Go ahead, shout louder. Maybe you wake him up. You know, I know he might actually be on vacation. He's taking a little vacation. It, it's okay. We got all day. We can do it. And so it goes, and it nothing happens, and they're bleeding all over the place. And and you know, just an observation here. It is awfully tiring, worshiping a false god. It is awfully tiring praying to prayers to a God that doesn't answer the prayers. It's awfully tiring engaging in a divine monologue. But that's not our God. That's Baal. Well, the, the, the day is getting long. Elijah sets up his altar. It's a repair job on an old altar. And he has a trench dug around it. And, and he has buck, gallons and gallons of water poured out on top of the sacrifice and the wood so that it is absolutely soaking wet. And then he prays. And a fire comes out of heaven. And it doesn't just consume the sacrifice. Like it, it just vaporizes the stones on the altar it, it, it evaporates the water instantaneously and it burns up the dirt around the altar so that there is a crater left behind and then he calls on the people and says kill these guys and they kill the 450 false prophets and Elijah tells Ahab to go eat and drink. And then he climbs Mount Carmel and he sits literally with his head between his knees praying. And he tells his servant, go, go take a look and tell me what you see. Do you see any clouds? And seven times that happens. You know, the first six times the servant said, nothing. Nothing. There's nothing out there. And the seventh time, the servant says, there's a cloud about as big as a man's hand off in the distance. And Elijah says, we better get going. He sends the servant to tell Ahab to hitch up his chariot and run for home, or he's not going to be making it to home through the floods. And then he hitches up his robe, and he outruns the chariot. Like, like, did I say this guy was cool? <laughs> now Ahab told Jezebel, I'm in 19.1, we're, we're, we're coming down to 19.1. 
told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his, his servant there. Beersheba is 80 miles away. It's in a foreign country, okay? And, 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 and you'll have to excuse me. I have to do a little digression at this point. Beersheba, like, really means something to me. Um, it's one of the first biblical things I ever heard. I, I was like a seven-year-old kid in Australia, and our family didn't go to church. But my next door, our next-door neighbor was a really wonderful old guy that loved to tell stories. And he told me the story about how, how the, he was in the last great cavalry charge. It was the Australian light horse. They, they, they attacked the wells at Beersheba like rode into the Turkish machine guns, and George was there. And, you know, I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking to myself, I'll bet George watered himself and his horse. At a well that Elijah may have drunk at. And, and I thought to myself, boldness. God always honors it. He, he, whenever he sees it, when it's boldness in, in his name, he always honors it. Well, Elijah has run more than a triple marathon. So while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. Like, have you ever felt like that? Oh, Lord, just kill me. <laughs> Please, shoot me, just shoot me. I've had it. I got nothing. I got nothing more. And you can see how he'd be there, can't you? Like, he's exhausted. I mean, you know, he's Elijah. He's not Superman. Nobody's Superman. And, and, you know, he's got to be thinking, what does it take? What does it take? What does it take to start a revival around here? I, I mean, why aren't they all just flocking to me? And, you know, and like, it, 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 and here I am, like all this has happened, and now I'm about to die. But Elijah wanted more. He would rather die than settle for less. And he felt the burden of responsibility for that more. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep, and all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Now, what do you do when you get to your limit? Well, you rest. You rest. And... and you need to remember that. You need to remember that. And, and not just rest, rest in the Lord. The, the, the world does not rest on your shoulders. 
even your own destiny, it, it's, it's not on your shoulders. He's got it. Rest. Then he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and then lay down again. You know, sometimes you need two naps. Hey, Martha, what did the preacher preach about this morning at Singing Oaks? Well, you know, he just said we need to take a nap. <laughs> yes, you do. Take a nap. Eat. Then eat some more. Church of Christ people, we can do that, can't we? <laughs> the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. 40 days and 200 miles and still he's waiting for that final word. 40 days and 40 nights and all that he has experienced that, that so few men would ever have experienced. And still he's waiting, God, where is my answer? Why haven't you spoken to me? You know, just an observation. God has a terrible sense of timing, don't you think? You know, he never shows up when we think that he's going to show up. But of course I'm joking, he always shows up at exactly the right time. Because the right time, the right time is his time. Not my time. Well, sometimes you find yourself in a mess. And why? It's, it's because there you experience the goodness of God. Elijah's about to have one of the greatest experiences of all time. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. You know, that's, that's what we do when we get depressed, isn't it? We go into the cave. But you have to go to the cave. I mean, you don't want to live in a cave. But you have to go to the cave. Um, it's where depressed people go. You go and you binge watch Netflix and <laughs> this is us. Binge watch, this is us. Um, you go to a dark place. But in that place, that's where the best thing of all can happen. Because you don't stay there. You don't stay there. You have to go sometimes to a dark place so that you can personally hear God's voice. For you. For you. Ah, you know, the fire out of heaven, that was for everybody and everything. But for Elijah, what he needed to hear and, and, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, I, I, there was a time when I thought that God was being a little sarcastic there, you know. Hey, what are you doing here? God's never sarcastic. He's never unkind. Um, he's never, he's not judgmental towards his people. If you hear that voice, it's not God. But Elijah explodes. 
I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're all trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, came a gentle whisper. King James says, a still, small voice. And Elijah comes to the mouth of that cave and he sees what he hasn't seen before. What is more personal than a whisper? Would you rather have earthquakes and fire or have God whisper in your ear, your name. Sign me up for the whisper. Sign me up that I am there at the mouth of the cave and I hear him say, Ross, Ross, I see you. So you confront yourself and you hear God whisper your name when you get to your limit. That's why it's great to get to the limit. You know, some of us, we want to skip that whole process. God, don't take me to the limit. God, um, don't let me spend 10 minutes in the cave. And God says, you know, no, you need a little while here. You need a little while so that you will hear the whisper. And you need a little while here to realize that it's about me, not about you. It's not about your limits. Your limits are meaningless. It's about me. And he says to you, I've got 7,000 people hidden from Baal and his people. I got a guy in a fast chariot that isn't scared of anything, and his name is Jehu. And he's going to bring the judgment on these two. And, and I've got a, another prophet, Elijah. His name's Elisha. And he's going to ask me for a double portion of what you've got, and I'm going to give it to him. I don't lose. I don't lose. I've got this. It is an amazing thing to realize that God has the situation in hand. Like, that's what this is about. That's why this isn't just a really fun story. It was and it remains true. And the power that we have available to us. 
And I don't know, maybe you came here this morning with the wings. You thought that the turbulence is so bad in your world right now that the wings are about to come off and you're about to go into a flat spin. And God is saying, rely on my power. There is more. I've got more. Oh, I'd love to pray with you this morning if that's where you are. I just, just come down and we'll pray for a breakthrough for you. And, and I want to, uh, I'd, I'd also, I'd like to invite anybody down that you'd like to, to pray that, that singing oaks, that God will bring us to breakthrough, that we'll have the courage and that we'll have the faith to, to go break through the limits and to experience the more that he has for us in his spirit. So you want to come down? We'll gather in a circle and we'll pray for that. Won't you do it while we stand and sing?